Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhopper. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing pretty fantastic, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm ready to talk to Andy. I actually just came off of a painting session Ooh. Uh, because I'm trying to get some giants ready for <laughs> my game on Saturday. Oh, man. I am... Okay, so I, I don't know if I, I've really talked too much about it, but I am definitely a a massive figurine collector at this point, uh, mainly because my campaign hasn't used a whole ton of them. Uh, so I've got all these different things and stuff. So you're that, the collector status. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I need to get into the painting part. Like we've, we've talked about that before, but so I've got all these different things that I could just throw at my party and they have no idea that I own them. Uh, I mean, nevermore mites. John might have an inkling for some of the stuff because they're, they're with me sometimes when I go on and buy these things. Like we'll go after Azeroth Roundtable on a Friday night and go to the game store sometimes. But like I've got a whole ton of stuff that's just packaged and sitting there just waiting for that one time when that encounter is coming up. And I've got like things planned for different areas of the world that I'm going to pull out and use. And oh, I just let, let's just put it this way. There's an area that I've created called the Everwilds that is going to be like the first step into act two of the entire big thing. And when they get there, I'm going to be having a lot of fun. Yes. And might I say, if you haven't yet go out and, or check out and see if you do have a local game store, because those places are super cool. And I found one that I love. It's about 25 minutes away. Super awesome staff tons of miniatures, tons of board games. They've got a whole extra space for game tables that you can go and do D and D or Warhammer or paint or whatever. Uh, it's amazing. If you can support your local game stores. Exactly. And I mean, it, mine's kind of similar. They've got, um, you know, different brands of figurines and stuff. They've got uh, places to play. They've got a ton of different Warhammer stuff. Uh, yeah, you never know what, what's actually just right around the corner until you really take a look. And I mean, some of these places are just gold mines for ideas and, and resources and everything. So definitely take a look. Yep. Agreed. And hopefully you will have some time to paint soon because, uh, for those, for those who aren't big on the hobby thing, I've been, uh, especially if you follow my Twitter, I've, I've really started my hobby trifecta. I've, I have found my, my Zen hobby zone. I started off with 3d printing, which, uh, there's a lot of really cool 3d print resources mm-hmm. for miniatures and such and terrain and all sorts of cool stuff that you can use for D and D. Um, and then I moved on to painting cause I was able to paint my miniatures, right? And not only those, I, I like to uh, occasionally, usually every time I visit my, my game store, I'll walk out with <laughs> one, or, one or two miniatures because uh, I just can't help it. Um, and so I like to, like to paint those. And I've taken some painting classes also at my local game store, which has been super cool. So that's been kind of fun to develop. And then I actually just recently started making my own dice probably the hardest yeah uh, you know interestingly enough 
as cool as that but, sounds, uh, I'd be so terrified that it's going to, you know, be very weighted unintentionally. So how's that working out for you? I, the, the first, the first one was really bad, uh, but they have steadily improved. And I now understand why the, uh, like dice makers on, on Etsy or, uh, like dispel dice, the, the big Kickstarter that just recently happened. Uh, I now understand why those dice sets go for 40, 50, 60 bucks a piece. There, there's a lot of effort that you have to put in to, to making a good looking dice. So, oh, cool. uh, but yeah, check out my Twitter. I've, I've been posting a few and I'm, I'm actually going to pop one out of the mold right after we're done recording and I'm just kind of experimenting around right now. All maybe, right. I'll, maybe I'll even sell some custom dice at some point. Who knows? Hey, that'd be cool. Yeah. I'm hoping my, my, my end goal is to make my, each of my players a special D20. Oh, now that's just really cool. I just to kind of, that's kind of suited ish to their character. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the end goal. I'll, I'll keep you updated. All right. Well, I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about my hobbies, although I do like well, talking about Technically, them. we are here to talk it's about what They're all hobbies. D&D related. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything has everything like slowly taken on a, at least a partial D&D meaning. It's been wonderful. Uh, but specifically, we are going to talk about vampires. Whoa. Oh, I can do better but, than that. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's much better. Thank you. So this is this is like your classic monster, right? And there's their their D variant for them is actually really really cool. So lore wise, I mean, vampires in D and D are very much like what you would expect or what you've seen kind of in the movies a little bit. Uh, They suck blood. They uh, have sunlight sensitivity. They can turn into a bat. Uh, They're very devious, very scheming. But from a D and D perspective, one of the most uh, famous vampires, uh, Strahd, if you've played uh, curse of Strahd, which is a module um, and I've watched a few groups play through that. Uh, I think even the official D and D, uh, what was it? Dice camera action, I believe was the name of the show played through the, that module. And it's, it's vampires are extremely interesting characters, uh, and they can be extremely smart characters. I mean, if you just look at their stat sheets, they, they've got real good stats, like, 15 on the low end from a wisdom 17 int. These are really smart creatures. And so they can make really, really interesting uh, big bad guys or uh, large scale threats to your heroes. Exactly. And not only are they like a big bad guy, but these are our monsters that you know, really go for having like a horde and, you know, underlings and just, so many different layers of baddies that are underneath them and based on you know how they got to them how they enthralled them whether they created them or not 
you have a bunch of different things to play with when it comes to like minions and, and just a, a total hierarchy of everything that's going on. Um, you know, it, it could be something as simple as, well, this one vampire has a uh, enthralled person who is charmed and who's going after, you know, or spying on your group or something like that. Or it could be, um, I forget exactly what it is, but it's the, the, the vampire like underling that it's, it's something that they've created or, but they're not a full yeah, the vampire thrall thrall. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Vampire thrall. And they're not, you know, completely on their own yet, but they're still taking orders from their, their head boss and everything. And who knows, you can set one of them up to be a mini boss who seems like he's a vampire Lord, but he's totally not. And it, there, there's so much just, flexibility and fun that could be had with setting up this whole like like story of, of twists and turns of of what this vampire is how long they've been around what they've accumulated in that time and just all the different like in in uh you know like curiosities that have come up about them legends from townsfolk you know just different cool things like that yeah, and in addition to being able to have something that you can play smarter, that can have the plan, that can have the minions, uh, the actual vampire stat sheet gives you a ton to work with. In fact, I think it's probably one of the, it, it's on the probably longer end of all the, any, any monster stat sheet. It's pretty comprehensive. There's a lot of things you can, do with it there's a lot of ways that the vampire itself can escape come back fight another day with its shape change with its mist misty escape uh even when it drops to to zero hit points it's resistant to bludgeoning piercing slashing non-magical attacks it uh it has some stuff that can actually be kind of terrifying for players in its bite attack that allows it to actually reduce maximum hit points which is not super a super common ability um, that can be very scary to players especially if they're getting hit hard uh, as we go in and and not only that your your vampires got regeneration it's got spider climb it's it's a legendary creature so it's one of those creatures that can actually be a challenge to the party even if it's by itself but of course it's not going to be by itself it's got its thralls with it and so it, it's you can line if you are wanting to line up a a very tough uh deadly encounter uh, this is this is a great monster to use for that too. Exactly. I mean, just uh, you know, basics on it. Uh, you know, it's a challenge level thirteen, so you're going to be looking at you know, kind of a, you know, in theory, higher level group of uh, adventurers going after it. I mean, there are different ways, of course, to you know, lower that and stuff. We've talked about that before, but just the abilities alone make it so challenging. Like you were saying, I mean, it's got legendary actions where one of them is just oh, it's just an unarmed attack. I mean, that's just awesome. You know, you're, you've, you're surrounded a vampire and everything. You just kind of whack, just slap someone. Um, he's able to move, you know, with, with such speed that it doesn't provoke opportunity attacks. He's just able to like shift out of there and, and move its, its full distance and stuff. Um, one of the things that I love that it, it has this ability of is uh, being able to summon like animals to come in and just kind of attack. You can summon either 
a swarm of bats, swarm of rats, or like some wolves to just come and just be there and attack. I mean, how cool is that to just do that? As well as, you know, shape-shifting, being able to do a whole bunch of different things. It, it turns into, uh, you know, just a single monster with, with such a great kit to it that you're going to have fun playing one much less, you know, make it interesting and in a fun encounter. Like, I don't know how many times you've had to deal with spider climb. I haven't, but the concept of it is just really cool in my mind. You know, if you have characters who, you know, don't really have a lot of range or anything like that, you can get away pretty easily just by, by spider climbing around. But at the same time, it's also something that's really creepy. If you see it happening, like, you know, add that visual in your mind of he just runs up the wall and just goes right up there and he's taunting you from the ceiling or something, you know, it's kind of creepy and weird and scary and stuff. And I mean, that's what a vampire is. It's, it's, it's something just scary and terrifying. And uh, sorry, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but I'm kind of excited about this. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I, it, I mean, it, it totally is. This is, this is the perfect type of monster to play into the the suspense, terror, frightening aspect of it. I mean, all the the parts of its kit kind of flow into that, right? You've got the the, the children of the night, which, like you said, is the the summoning, the bite, the the reduction in hit points, being able to climb around the walls, being able to regenerate its its hit points every round, and then one of my one of the other huge things from a vampire standpoint is you get as a DM get to use a trick that your players may often use against you in the way of charm and suggestion mm-hmm. because the vampire can charm. And so you can basically take out in a way one of their companions and force them to now make very interesting decisions based off of who is enthralled or what they're going to have to do because of it. Exactly. Take out, take their tank, see what happens with that. I mean, you, you can change the, the tide of battle just instantly with one small little twist of fate like that, uh, or pull their, their, their wizard or something, you know, it's just a great spellcaster just tossing AOE at the party. Can you imagine how that's going to go? There's so much fun to, to, to be had. Now, one of the things that I think is actually kind of interesting is the fact that there are so many different types of vampire lore just out there in the world. I mean, and I'm, I'm not talking the difference between like Dracula and Twilight, but just, you know, so many different legends and uh, myths and everything have come up. And I like that uh, Dungeons and Dragons does have its own specific, you know, set of rules as well. And, you know, it's, it has certain weaknesses, but one of the neat things that you just kind of play around with your party is, you know, have them roll like a history check or something. And based on how high or low they get, you can throw out some weaknesses that aren't actually real, you know, based on something that they might've heard like, you know, Oh, the vampire is, uh, uh, you know, allergic to garlic, which in Dungeons and Dragons has nothing to do with the vampire. They don't care, but you know, have your character or, you know, some roles like a four or something like that. It's like, Oh yeah, they're totally, you know, allergic to garlic. Have them walking around with garlic or something like that. Eh, doesn't matter. You can just totally blow their expectations by giving them some false information with this. But, and it, there's not a lot of monsters. Honestly, this is, this is kind of a, 
an anomaly. There's not a lot of monsters that have like a big specific list of weaknesses. Mm-hmm. It's, and some of them more so on the RP side rather than the combat side. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know, of the weaknesses that the vampire does have in D and D, they do have to follow the rule of uh, they can't actually enter a residence unless they're invited in. Um, now they're Which is hard- super interesting. Exactly. They can lead to some really funny scenarios that like a party's all in a house. The vampire Lord shows up, opens the door, threatens them. And uh, after glaring at them, the party stepping back in horror says, can I come in? <laughs> well, see, this is where you can actually have a lot of fun with things like this. Like, um, did you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I have seen some of Buffy. Yes. Okay. Classic. Like, there's, there's some great episodes where, you know, like, they, they do the whole, like, oh, well, we're inside the house. You know, you can't get in and everything. And the vampire's just antagonizing him so much to the point where uh, Buffy's little sister says, yeah, I'd like to see you come in here and try that. And that's an invite in, you know, like, see what you can do to, to, to make the players slip up and everything. Um, another one of the the weaknesses that D- Dungeons & Dragons vampires have is that uh, they are harmed by running water. So if it ends its turn in running water, that's that's painful. That's it, it, They take acid damage from that. Whereas, you know, that might not be common knowledge to your players based on, you know, what lore they kind of go with. Like, if they're going with the real Ghostbusters cartoon from the 80s, you might get the running water in there. But if they're going with something along the lines of like, uh, I don't know, Dracula, you might not have that. Actually, I don't know about the water with Dracula. I could be wrong. (laughs) It does lead to some interesting combat scenarios, though, and potentially using um, underutilized spells against a vampire. Control water? Mm -hmm. Anybody? That's kind of... uh, potential for for really interesting things or uh i mean we talked about it a little bit about it before sunlight hypersensitivity mm-hmm. vampires like darkness most of the time you will not your players will not choose the battle location the vampire will choose the battle location they are very smart they're very tactical they're not going to let you trap it in in broad daylight <laughs> you're gonna be fighting it in a, in a cave in its lair late at night as it attacks a town or a village or something like that um but there's also again if your players uh characters have researched up enough there's spells that provide sunlight mm-hmm. like and, the spell and, sunlight like the spell sunlight sunbeam uh, um, can be very effective yeah. against vampires yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that I absolutely love too is that uh, so a stake to the heart doesn't actually kill a vampire in this. It only paralyzes them. And that is something that could come in really handy if your player gets really lucky. Because <laughs> I don't see that happening very often. <laughs> and uh, that's definitely one of the things you could do because uh, vampires are honestly incredibly hard to actually fully kill mm-hmm. because when your party manages to drop a vampire to zero hit points it turns into basically a cloud of mist instead of falling un- unconscious and 
provided that it isn't in sunlight or running water, it can just move and has to go reach its resting place. It's just mist. But then you can do some cool stuff, a chase scene or, you know, uh, maybe the minions try to hold out the, the heroes off while the vampire lord tries to escape back to its place because um, it's, it's paralyzed once it gets back to its resting place until it waits for an hour or two and gets some hit points back. So this is, it's a very fun ability because you, it gives you some kind of uh, way to potentially have a reoccurring villain that maybe mm-hmm. come back smarter and stronger the next time. Yep. Now, conversely, have your players run into the, the layer beforehand, not knowing what they've actually stumbled upon. You know, what if they've, uh, they walk through a cemetery and there's an open crypt or something, um, or, you know, maybe it's just in a basement of some, you know, abandoned house or some grand manor or something, you know, give them, you know, little pieces here and there, Maybe don't even tell them that the big bad evil guy is a vampire. Let them kind of figure the stuff out on on their own. You know, there are so many different times where, you know, you look at at some sort of uh, lore or or legend behind you know the, these really evil people and everything, and you know, it's like oh they you know they have some really weird quirks about them. You know, they're, they they've never seen eating. Um, you know, maybe they only they only do come out at night. You know, uh, when they're out in the daytime, maybe they have, you know, they're, they're hooded. They're, they're in big shrouds or something, um, you know, make it that there's uh, going on. There's a, a large number of bats in the area these days. You know, there's so many different like little tiny hints that you can just kind of just poke here and there when it comes to vampires that will just be like the, just that little bit. And you might have your players kind of sitting there thinking, no, there's no vampires in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yes, there are. There are. And this this whole discussion has really made me want to run a vampire. I really want to now too. <laughs> like like there my especially for my campaign, like these so this is a this is a CR13 monster. Mm-hmm. So they're they're pretty they're pretty tough. Um and they'll they'll require uh either higher level party or party outfitted with very specific countermeasures mm-hmm. to, to take one down. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, I think it could be a really interesting aside somewhere to, to have a vampire. Yeah. It'd be fun. I'm actually, after talking about this, I'm trying to figure out where I can fit one in. That's a nice thing about and, like, homebrew worlds is that, there's always a place. Exactly. <laughs> and like, I already have an idea on where I could put it. I think that my, my people would probably be by that point, maybe around 11 or 12. So I think it could work, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, it, I, I've been trying to think of uh, for act two, a, a, a starting off a, a jumping in point on something. So and uh, I don't want to fully like copy Critical Role or anything, but I mean, vampires it, taking yeah. over a town kind of works really well. If you want a great vampire story arc, Critical Role season one does have an absolutely fantastic. Oh, it's amazing! Um, vampire story arc for sure. Yeah. Highly recommended. It, it highlights 
um, a lot of the different things that we've talked about here in, in with the abilities and everything. It's, it's very good. Yeah. Agreed. If you have run a vampire in your campaign before, send a, send us your story. Let us know. We'd love to, we'd love to hear how your players dealt with things, how uh, you played the, the vampire and how you set things up around it. Exactly. All right. So we're going to transition a little bit. And we, we talked about this the other week. We're going to jump into a little bit of a mailbag section uh, as we've been getting some questions in and uh, we picked a, a few of them to do tonight. We'll do more of these in the future as well as questions come in. So make sure you send those in. And of course, Ben will give you all the information to do that at the end of the episode. Exactly. So Draven Dresden writes in and says, how would you deal with a party that sees you as a mere liability in combat because you don't do damage note you are however controlling the battlefield with slows webs etc man so okay first of all i would assume that they would or you'd find this out because either one of them or maybe the dm or someone is actually talking to you about this and at that point i mean the best thing you could do is you know, be as honest as possible, you know, explain how you're contributing to, you know, uh, like say reducing damage, like with a slow, you know, um, they're the, uh, uh, a monster or whatever, a mob, it, it, it doesn't have a reaction. So you're able to, you know, move around them and, and everything if you need to. So that's less damage going out. They can only have a bonus action or an action. They, they don't get both. So again, that's less damage that's actually going out. So in a sense, in an abstract way, you're healing in, if you look at it from that perspective. Um, I, I mean... No, it's damage mitigation. Yeah, exactly. There, there's so many different uh, control type you know, spells and everything that are out there that are so beneficial that a lot of people don't seem to realize how beneficial they can be. Uh, in fact, like that, that's one of the big strong points of uh, a lore bard, you know, depending on what spells you, you choose and what you have access to, you can completely control the battlefield without doing any damage whatsoever. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really interesting because part of, part of this too is dependent on how your DM runs combat. Mm-hmm. If your DM runs combat in a way that uh, it's over very quickly, those types of things can be less valuable than if you have a combat that goes for four or five, six rounds, right? The, the longer a combat goes, the more beneficial support type spells can be. Not, not always, but in, in a lot of cases, the longer things go, the, the better support stuff. Is. Mm-hmm. Um, this would, I would definitely have a, have a conversation with your DM. Uh, potentially he's not designing things that uh, are encounters that uh, are very good to use support stuff um, to use a wild term tank and spank. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if it's just like a poor, as much damage on as we can knock these things out fast. Yeah. Of course. Uh, you, if you're more of a support type character, you're probably going to look down and get looked down upon a little bit because their party's just like, why aren't you doing any damage so that we can, we can kill these things. But it, it definitely needs to be a conversation 
with your party and with your DM to, and maybe they just don't understand. Maybe they there just is don't that. understand yeah. Yeah, the benefits that some of these things do. I had a perfect example. I have an artificer in my game. Oh. And um, the, the large warehouse fight I talked about uh, mm-hmm. several episodes back, uh, the main guy's lieutenant was trying to get away with this mana bomb so that they could detonate it elsewhere. Our artificer cast web. He failed his check. He got stuck there. And that actually, uh, that web allowed the party to kill him and recover the mana bomb. Yeah. He would have totally gotten away if it hadn't been for the web. And so just, just as an example, there's, there's a lot of really incredible things that support spells can do to change the entire dynamic of a situation. So I don't recommend doing this, what I'm about to say, but at the same time, it might kind of like drive the point home. But again, I don't recommend doing this. So when I'm DMing, I do appreciate being reminded every now and then if like I have, uh, you know, disadvantage on something from like, say, cutting words or, um, you know, if someone's concentrating on something, you know, having a helpful reminder of all the different statuses and everything that are going around, you know, during a combat, because there's a lot that can get thrown out there, especially when you're dealing with a larger group or at least a higher level group, because at that point you have so many more abilities. So, you know, if like, say you do slow a target, just when that, that target starts to be like, remember he slowed you know, just to kind of drive that point home. Um, If you have more buffs that you're throwing out as opposed to debuffs to the mobs, you know, reminds, uh, remind party members. It's like, uh, like if you have bless on them, say, remember you get your, an extra D four to this or 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 something along those lines. You're rolling with advantage Mm -hmm. on that check. Exactly. It's like uh, when I play my cleric, if I do a a guiding bolt, I always toss out, hey, remember, you've got advantage on this because, you know, it's the next attack or whatever. So knowing your abilities in and out can help with that. Um, In fact, you know, if if you play a bard, I highly recommend reminding people when they have bardic inspiration Mm because like if there is one resource (laughs) in all of Dungeons and Dragons that doesn't get used, I would have to say it's probably bardic inspiration just because people forget that they have it because it lasts for generally higher combat round. Yeah. I mean, if you're going longer than that, there's a seriously bad thing going on with the combat. That is a really long combat. Yeah, 60 rounds. A 10 minute combat. Oh my gosh. That'd be insane. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, think, I think those are all um, really good tips. And personally... One of the characters I play, which happens to be a bard, is mostly supporty. Mm-hmm. And doesn't do a ton of damage. But you've done some absolutely amazing things with that bard. And Phantasmal Force, guys. <laughs> oh yeah. Not a lot of damage, but one of the best like support type things mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Uh in fact in my game, the bard uh, uh pretty much every single combat encounter, she casts charm at least once. And I'll tell you that just totally screws with my plans. It's not damage, but you know what? It completely turns the tide of the battle. 
Yeah. Yep. Cool you stuff. know, there really needs to be more support classes in some things. I just, I like them. Yeah. And the workouts are a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, they are kind of the unsung heroes a lot of the time. And they're not just healers. No, definitely not. Yeah. Uh, so Draven also writes in, what are you guys' thoughts on time skips and how to use them? Do you use them? How long do they last? When are they most useful? What do you suggest for the characters in that time? Do you have anything? Uh, do you have them do anything with levels or skills or whatever during that time? I, have you ever used a time skip before? Or at least are you planning to? So I've not done any major time skips. Uh, the biggest one I did was uh, one that was a few weeks after my party uh, entered the capital city. Mm-hmm. They fought the big gladiator arena battle and then they had a few weeks of downtime to kind of do whatever. So in that, in that time, uh, what I mostly did was I went around and kind of asked them, okay, what do you want to accomplish? Is there um, stuff you want to go look for to buy? Um, is there any like RP type things you want to accomplish that are, you know, non-combat oriented. Like I want to find the fees guild or something like that. That would be specific to that one, one character. Um, research on a, a particular subject could be interesting. Um, at higher levels, maybe during that time, your party has bought some land and they're building a keep. Mm-hmm. or a house or something like that. And you could have various uh, skill challenges or whatever during that time to see how well it goes or how fast or how long it takes to get done uh, and those type of things. And then that amount of time could have ramifications on the world at large. Perhaps uh, you're in some downtime preparing for a battle and you're, training troops or something like that and the outcome of different roles and stuff you do during that downtime may make the army that you're uh helping fight with stronger or not as strong yeah there's a a ton of stuff you can do it's it's all it's 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 yeah, you have to be creative about it. And usually you don't want to do downtime without um, the characters being able to have some specific goals in mind. Exactly. Now, I haven't used one yet, but I know like once we finish this, this first act or arc or whatever you want to call it, um, I have a feeling on where they're going to be. And I think that's the perfect time for them to have you know, some sort of downtime, you know, just to give the characters time to, to decompress and everything. Because if you really think about it, like an adventurer, they're basically working a 24 seven job, you know, during the entire, you know, campaign, unless you actually add in break stops, like now shopping sessions, I don't think that counts. Cause if you think about it, that's like, you know, really a few hours out of a day. Um, the rest of the time, there's travel, there's guarding things, there's attacking things, investigating things, saving things, fetch quests, you know, all this other stuff to do. And I really think that the characters themselves need to be able to have that downtime, that that decompression and everything. At that point, it really gives your players a chance to, you know, 
like figure out something to do, you know, maybe become proficient in a new skill. Um, you know, take the time, maybe have them look through feats, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that you can reward your players with for one going on the long haul of everything and not just giving them a level because they're going to get levels as they play anyway, but it, it's a little extra reward just to be like, Hey, we've been working through this together. Your character's awesome. And they're still alive, you know, despite everything I've thrown at you. Why don't you become proficient in nature? Like, let's say you spent a lot of time, you know, learning with uh, or or spending a lot of time with the druid in the party, and you, and you learned some more about nature. You you learned about something that they talked to them or talk with them about. Um, maybe you spent a whole lot of time like strength training, and you're trying to you know bump up one of your ability points just because you know you have that time to work on it. Um, I love the idea of you know you you were rewarded land based on what's happened, and you know. And, and that keep is being built, like you said, Ryan. But my whole point is, is that during this downtime is when, you know, each of the players, you give them, say, hey, this is how much time went by. What did you do? You know, whatever. Have it be completely open so that you learn a little bit more about their characters and their, their character wants and needs and everything like that. And not only does it help them become more in touch with who they are playing, it gives you more information for things to pull from and draw from in the future. Now I'm not saying use that for evil, but you know, there, there's so much more that you can do. Like let's say you have a, a cleric and he wants to learn how to play the lute. Well, why, you know, maybe it's, it's something in his backstory or, or their backstory or whatever. And uh, you know, their, their mom used to sing him to sleep at night with the lute and they want to learn to play well, there you have a little bit of nugget of RP right there. That's just kind of cool. Yeah. And like, kind of like you were saying, these, these periods of downtime are a finite resource. They are DM controlled. So you are able to do things you wouldn't normally do, like allow them to become proficient in a skill, like allow them to learn a new skill, uh, crafting, Mm-hmm. is also a uh, very popular, very fun thing you can do during downtime because normally, uh, especially if you're crafting or trying to craft magical items, those things take uh, larger amounts of time to get done. So downtime can be the perfect time to to work on trying to craft. And of course, as as a DM, this gives you a perfect opportunity to use something I'll probably talk a little bit about later called, and I I think we, I'm sure we've mentioned them before called skill challenges that allow uh, you to give them a series of of checks, pass, fail type things uh, to see if they can succeed in a certain, whatever their, their endeavor is. Um, One of the things one of my characters is doing is learning a new language. Oh, cool. In downtime. And uh, because one of the other party members knows this language, I wanted to learn it. And so during, during a period of downtime, I got a nice chunk of progress uh, towards learning it. And That's neat. a lot of this is something, the thing, things you as the DM have to determine. There's not a lot of like hard and fast rules for these things. And so, you know, based on your campaign and your players and your style, just figure out what is appropriate to learning a language or a skill or crafting an item. Uh, give those goals to the players 
So then they have something to shoot. Exactly. And the, there is um, some, some really loose uh, rules in the DM book, uh, book about, you know, like, like learning new things, crafting items and, and stuff like that. And um, ideas for downtime. Exactly. There are some official, official things for downtime too. Exactly. And I mean, it, it's one of those things where you can kind of pull from that. You can do something entirely different. Um, in fact, uh, going back to critical role, one of my favorite episodes is a beach vacation that they went on in their downtime. And it was just crazy fun, you know, have something like that, you know, bookended with some downtime that, you know, isn't RP'd out. You know, you don't, you don't need to actually RP and talk about every single aspect of every single second of every single game because that just doesn't work. So being able to say, okay, well, you know, my person, um, he went back and visited this family that they met and, you know, became like a, you know, the, the unofficial big brother to this kid or something, you know, um, then came back to the venturing party when we said we'd meet back up and go on the next grand adventure. And you have that little tiny thing there. Uh, maybe he, I don't know, learned how to stealth by playing hide and seek a whole bunch. You know, there's, there's, you know, really fun, stupid things that you can do in, in downtime. And I, I always recommend, having uh, some sort of, uh, you know, a little extra added bit there to, uh, again, just grow characters. Yep, totally agree. There's lots of really great things you can do during downtime. Like you said, if uh, hopefully we gave you some ideas. Uh, the official books, I believe, uh, it might be Xanathar's. Might have some expand. I know the DM's guide has some downtime. Um, yeah, in fact, I'm, I'm looking up or looking at it right now on uh, D&D Beyond. They've got like crafting an item, running a business, uh, sewing rumors, uh, training to gain levels. So they've got all that stuff in there. But um, I think you're right. Xanthar's has, uh, even, I mean, Xanthar's has extras of everything. Yeah. So it's got to have that as well. I would yeah. think. It's, a, it's a great supplement for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and then finally, Grim writes in and asks, how do you guys feel about slash handle dm whispers to individual players the dreams that ryan mentioned last episode seem perfect for that pull a player aside style of play but i understand not wanting to divide the players during sessions too do you ask player preference Hmm. Um, well i'll tell you right now i i totally have dm whispers but it's a lot easier for me to do it because uh since i play over discord i just you know type to the person just say, hey, uh, this is what's going on. Um, in fact, I do that. We have a warlock in the party, and there are very specific things that happen with the warlock, uh, partly because I got to completely create his backstory, so he doesn't have any idea what's going on. So uh, every now and then I'll give him little hints of like, hey, you're, you're feeling like this, or this is kind of, there's something familiar about this. Uh, when it's something that I feel he needs to know by himself. I'll just, you know, type it up really quick, send it on over. Um, I have had times where I've had people pull off their headphones and uh, talk dream sequences to everybody. You know, there, there's just different bits here and there that, you know, I think work really well. Um, I'm a fan of, let's see what, I guess the best way to put it is I'm a fan of RP in the fact that, you have the, the option to tell other players things that are going on or not. Um, overall, I would hope that they share some of those things or at least uh, some of those things are actually revealed over time. 
but I, I'd like to give that agency to the player a lot more than just, okay, everybody, um, this is their, their uh, super personal thing that's going on right now for this character. Um, one of the things that like, you know, something simple like insight checks, I think are also one of those good things, um, you know, give them something little bit to go on and, you know, hopefully they'll be able to convey to everybody else. like, Oh, well, I, I kind of trust this person and, and things like that versus um, just everybody knowing that, Oh, this person is totally trustworthy. You know what, what's going on, you know, and depending on some situations, it's a lot more called for than others. You know, if you're talking to, to some shady looking guy that you just met, maybe uh, you kind of give an overall impression versus, you know, you're in this really intense situation, give it to just the one person and make it, that more intriguing and, and everything what's going on for everybody else. And it's up to them to share or, you know, kind of show off in a way to, you know, kind of bring everybody into the fold for stuff like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, I think a lot of this is very uh, DM specific stylistic. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, stylistic uh, play. So for me personally, um, I normally do not do whispers at the table. Um, I will do, if I want to reveal backstory type stuff, um, dream sequences, just due to the nature of a lot of my characters have actually worked really, really well. Um, I've, I've considered in the past doing one of those, you know, send the players out of the room or something and talk directly to, to the player one-on-one. Mm-hmm. But, normally I decide against that or doing whispers to specific people. Um, And this is, this is potentially a group specific thing, but uh, I trust my players enough. Uh, They've all proven to be very good at not using external information for their characters. Uh, and so I feel like if, since, since they are pretty good about that, um, I, I find it keeps them more engaged and more involved if everyone is present, even though I'm talking specifically to a player. And that doesn't mean that there's not uh, some direct player to player things we talk about. Uh, I, I regularly talk to players separately out of game to plan specific things or get specific details or let them in on certain information that their, their character may know uh, between sessions. But I've found for the most part during sessions, it's everyone is there and I try to make sure that everyone can be engaged. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I mean, I I will say that my players are also very good about keeping what's, you know, what their characters know versus what they know. I want to make that very distinct right there. They're very good about that. But maybe it's just the nature of the fact that I play online as opposed to, you know, in the same room that it's a lot easier for me on that. Just because I can't just do a quick type away and say, hey, this is something that's going on. Like there's a reveal of... um, uh, because of something that changed with the warlock, uh, he found out who his patron was for the very first time. And he was able to actually say the name. So I, I gave that to him just to be all like, hey, this is the first time that you've known this. This is his name. You know, it's like it, it was kind of a, a reveal to him. And 
he's for the very first time kind of talking about it openly with everybody else. And, you know, they were kind of taken back aback a little bit by it and stuff. And like, I don't know, maybe it's just part of the fact that I'm big on twists and surprises and things like that. So for me, seeing the surprise on, you know, someone else's face when something's revealed or, or something like that, um, maybe I'm just getting some sort of sick joy out of it. I don't know. It's it like it's it's style. It's stylistic. Um then there's there's nothing better or worse about whichever direction you you want to do. Yeah. One of the one of the biggest reveals of when my ranger got caught up in his cursed bow with his patron was done in front of everybody even though only two players were actually involved in it and it was it was hilarious because the other the other two players were just super focused in on what was happening even though they weren't there which was which was super fun for me kind of in the same way as as uh, a reveal might be so i said it's it's dm style preference mm-hmm. and it may partially play into uh, party preference or or the way your players react to things as well Exactly. Uh, now I will say if there is a DM out there that is like, I don't know, maliciously keeping things from other players uh, or like plotting against other players or something, that's definitely not the right way about this. Um, it, I mean, it, it's all about, and I'll say this every episode if I ever have to, Dungeons and Dragons is about everybody working together towards a common goal. Collaborative storytelling. Exactly. If, if someone is being pushed out because that is not collaborative storytelling, um, holding something for a reveal later, that's entirely different. So just make sure that uh, you're comfortable with what's going on in the off chance that, you know, like it's, and I doubt that a lot of DMs out there are doing it in a malicious way, but you know, if, if something doesn't feel right, talk to your DM about it. No, for sure. All right. Send us more questions. We'd yeah. Love we to, love them. Yeah. We'd love to love to answer uh, whatever burning thoughts you might have. Uh, jumping into our community content shout out. And this is kind of going along with, um, what we were talking about earlier with the downtime stuff and skill challenges. And this is something I'm actually planning uh, in large scale for both um, a single player and the rest of the party in my next session is um, uh, so I'm rewatching a video called appropriately enough skill challenges. What? yeah i know right by matt colville it's part of his running the game series and skill challenges i believe were a 4e thing they're not really an official thing in fifth edition but uh he has a lot of really good tips on bringing that sort of style and that mechanic over to 5e i really like the idea of skill challenges it's it makes for for very interesting things and it's something it's, it's a different style of RP that can have some mechanical uh, slash health player effects that's not strictly combat. So if you're interested and if you don't know what that is, 
or you're interested in figuring out how to do that for your game, uh, we'll have the link to that video in the show notes. Highly recommend. Yes. Uh, now, speaking of things that you want to find out and know, Ryan, I've got to ask. I've been waiting for, what, two weeks now, something like this. What is going on in your game? Because we've heard the stories about a certain character that you play, and I saw a tweet that a reveal happened. A reveal did happen, and this was this was a pretty huge one. Um, this happened uh, a little over a week ago, Friday night game, and I've actually been so. Just to preface this, for the last several months worth of of sessions, and we've been playing this particular game for five or six months now. Um, from the very beginning. I asked my DM if I could play a dragon and we talked back and forth about it. I found this really good um, dragon player character base template that someone had made. And so I took that uh, and I did some homebrew, made it, made it uh, a little more interesting for, for my style. It's kind of a uh, hybrid melee spellcaster. Mm-hmm. type homebrew um and i kind of made it for my style did a little bit of balancing uh threw it by the the dm to to kind of give it a pass with the kind of intent that if something turned out to be too strong or too weak as we were going we just you know uh balance as we go and uh it's it's actually worked out pretty well the the class is built around the idea that you will probably be an actual dragon, uh, like a young, young dragon, probably less than 50% of the time, just from a role play standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I built a lot of, um, one of the basic inherent abilities you have is shape change that allows you to change into a humanoid form. And so for most of the campaign, my character has been this humanoid form and um, there's, there's a bunch of different uh, spells and attacks and stuff that you can do in your humanoid form. uh, Though you lose out on certain things while you're in a humanoid form that you would have as a dragon. And so this whole campaign, I've been subtly dropping hints almost every session just, just little things. No one's like, caught on. No one. What, caught what on. are some of the things that you've done? Um, like the the character itself looks like he's probably in his twenties or thirties. I've I've suddenly dropped many times before calling like much older people young because he's actually about one hundred and fifty years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I've uh, I've maintain my theme so it's a it's a copper dragon so i've maintained this like acidic theme because uh copper dragon breath is acid so i've um i use the acid splash cantrip a lot um i have chaos bolt and anytime i roll it i always pick acid damage and so it's just been kind of this like theme uh (laughs) that the rest of the party just uh jokes that uh Oh, he's turning something into soup again type thing. <laughs> and so that's been kind of a, a kind of a running theme. And 
just, just all sorts of just little things. And so uh, I've been talking to the DM. We've got uh, a little keep. We delved into this basement mini dungeon uh, a session or two ago. We cleaned it out. And now um, I actually ended up the, the last session digging this tunnel um, inside of our basement and then hollowing out a space. No one knew why I was doing it. Um, but the whole thing, and I had, I had been talking with the DM because we were kind of building up to this reveal because I had always kept in my back pocket, oh, if he's almost going to die or something like this, then we'll get the big reveal in combat and whatnot. But we, we haven't had to do that. And so we, we talked about it and doing it kind of in a controlled situation ended up being a lot more interesting. So uh, the, there's a layer mechanic that's attached to this character class. And so the whole thing about me digging out this portion was that I, now that we had a place to call our own, I was kind of compelled as a dragon to make a layer. The layer making process wore me out so much, I basically went to sleep, dropped the human form, and then all these different, uh, the DM had all these different fun copper dragon layer things happen in the morning to all the party members <laughs> before they came down and found this dragon sleeping in this cavern that had been hollowed out. So like uh, one of the layer things is like you're the dragon's smiling visage can appear on rocks and trees within like a six mile radius or uh uh, small critters within a mile of the of the layer will learn to speak and speak <laughs> highly of this dragon, uh, but not not know the location. Um, or uh, people will break out into um, laughter at even the most serious subjects at times. And uh, there's um, a whole little like layer guardians mechanic and so these six little kobolds showed up at the door and they're just like we're here <laughs> we're here for the master where where's he at and it was it was uh, it was a wasn't a whole lot of combat in the session but it was extremely rp filled and everyone had a super good time the dm had a ton of fun playing around with with the mechanics um, and it was, it was just a super fun reveal. And so I'm excited to see where it goes from there. That's really cool. And that's such a fun way for a reveal to happen too. Yeah. It, it could not have, it could not have gone better. I was really happy with it. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Oh man. I wish I could have been to fly on the wall for that. <laughs> that would have, that would have been a, a fun one, uh, to, to have recorded or have streamed or something. That was, uh, it was, it was pretty funny. Um, and then I've got my, my game, I DM coming up on Saturday where, uh, going to fight some giants. Maybe. But my if you finish painting, went, if, if I finish painting, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on it, but my barbarian has run off by himself. And so that's going to be part of the whole fun thing. I'm actually going to have a separate little mini session with him on Friday 
before we go into that way. This is one of those, one of those instances where the rest of the party's not going to know what happened to him. And so it should be, it should be pretty fun. Well, cool. I did hear uh, you did a super cool thing. And I think we've talked about it before D and D for the parents and it happened. Yes. Yes. But before we do that, I have to tell you about another game session that I did. Oh my gosh. That was amazing. Two game sessions? Yeah. I'm so, so happy for you. So the reason that this episode is being released a little late is because uh, I actually took a vacation, which was nice. Good for you. Very, very, very much needed. Um, but uh, Super Bowl Sunday, I went over to uh, my friend Aludra's house and uh, she, her husband, her sons, and Nevermore and I, we all played some D&D together. Aludra did, uh, did a one shot for us. Now, it's a module that she got on the GM's Guild called Weekend at Strahd's. Yes. So the entire point of this is you've beaten Curse of Strahd. Strahd is sitting there with a, 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 a stake impaled in him, and he should be dead. But the power of love has kept him alive, and, and it's got all these song cues, so the power of love starts playing from Back to the Future, and it's like, oh, man. And there's this oh great gosh. story about you um, going through Strahd's uh, like mansion or castle or whatever it is, and you have to collect these like little uh, pieces of a thing to uh, either go back in time and turn Strahd into a uh, like a, a a total cool like like rock star instead of a vampire, or to just kill him entirely and you know just destroy him. So as you go through the castle, like all these different rooms and stuff are like themed, but from eighties movies. So uh, I don't know if it was part of the, the module to have the different song cues or not, but Aludra did. And it was amazing. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. So like, um, one of my favorite bits was, uh, we, we went to the, or we had to put on a prom and, you know, we had different, uh, uh, like roles, like you could be the the chaperone, or you could be the the prom king, or you could be this or that or whatever. And then you had an ability ch- or a skill check of some sort to roll. And depending on how many successes or failures, either you know it's a success or a failure, and you either have combat because you've angered the spirits that are there or whatever, or you know you just totally like that's when we succeeded, succeeded and we totally put on a, a fantastic prom, and then this horde of zombies come in and they're dancing and the thriller plays and then we have to dance with them. So it was performance checks by everybody. And I mean, it was just amazingly stupid fun that we absolutely loved. And we had such a blast with that. Uh, at one point the, the loonies showed up, uh, you know, like with little kids like data and chunk and <laughs> Mikey and everything there. And they had three uh, mobsters chasing after them, which we fought and killed. And I mean, it, it was just amazing. And not only was it like just crazy and zany and stuff, but alluded did such a fantastic job DMing it. It was so much fun. Oh, and the best thing out of all of it was uh, we, we, what she told us was, okay, stop and get like a can of some sort of drink of soda or something like that and bring it in. So we're like, okay, cool, whatever. So all of all five of us brought something in and then we mixed it into a two liter bottle labeled the new Coke since it all, you know, it was all 80s themed. <laughs> and then the idea is 
if you take a shot of new Coke, you can uh, have advantage on a roll or add three to a roll or make her have disadvantage or something like that. And so the idea is it's supposed to be this punishment, but from the stuff we chose, it was really tasty. So like, we're just, you know, getting advantage of all these rolls. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. But I have to say, um, the absolutely best, oh, we just totally ruined the entire uh, mechanic and, and plot and DM plan was that uh, we went into some into a cathedral and it was St. Elmo's Fire, except there was someone, it, it was uh, Elmo, like Muppet Elmo, in a hood, like lighting a fire around this cathedral. Like he sprayed gasoline everywhere and tossed a match down and also just fire and then Nevermore cast Tidal Wave and put everything out just in like a split second. The entire encounter was over. So, yeah. That's, that's one of those things as a DM, you're just like, ah. <laughs> well, what's that even better good. is the, the thing that we were supposed to find, uh, she's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to roll and see where it lands because, you know, it could be anywhere in the room. Then we have to search the room, you know, add more skill checks to it. She rolled where it landed, which was right at my feet. So I just reached over, picked it up, and we left the room. But yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun. Props to Eluder for DMing, and I, I had an absolute blast. Check out Weekend at Strahd's. That's, okay. that's pretty cool. And that's available on the DMs Guild, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes, that is exactly where she found it. Go buy that module for yourself. Okay, so now, the thing that everybody has been waiting for, the one shot that I made for my parents. Tune in next time. No, okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I made it. I was I, I was going to do just you know a very simple, very basic one shot because you know first time ever playing, just the character sheet alone is enough to really kind of throw people off, and in, for people who might be hesitant to play, that that's enough to just kind of push them back and out of there. So I'm like, okay, I made six uh, level twos, and then I'm like, okay, well there's four of them, so I'll kind of you know have a variety, let them pick and everything. So. Uh, my sister chose Ranger. Uh, Nevermore ended up going with the Sorcerer. My mom chose Cleric, and my dad chose Barbarian. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. Now, I had it take place in my campaign setting because you know I'm totally familiar with it and everything, so I, I could just pull anything out of my butt if I needed to. Um, so I basically had the Lord's Son with uh, six of his other buddies known as the junior adventurers league. They were out camping. Think like boy scouts, but in D and D and they were uh, all kidnapped by goblins. So because my main adventuring party was out in a different, you know, town saving that or whatever, they had to call these, these uh, level two adventurers together to try and go save the, the Lord's son. So, uh, you know, they go out, they go to the campsites and, before they even did that, though, the most amazing thing happened. My parents RP'd. <gasps> it was fantastic. They were thinking critically about what they needed to do and stuff. Like, they, they, they got into it. And it helped that, you know, Nevermore was there because, you know, she's been playing in my game for, you know, past, what, two years or something like that now. Um, 
my sister who is, has kind of, you know, played a little bit and everything, but they knew that I was going to kind of rely on them to set the tone for it. So when we started off, you know, I, I uh, have a messenger, you know, giving them every, every single person an invite for, you know, go to the Lord's house or whatever. So I started with my sister, then it went with Nevermore, then went to my dad and he jumped right in and kind of, you know, was reacting and talking to the character and, and through it and everything. And I'm like, this is great. My mom, who was like in a super giggly mood beforehand, uh, she was the dwarven cleric, so I made her wake up, uh, <laughs> wake up face down on a bar, and uh, so just, she just kind of played with that and everything. And you know, we went with it. They got together. They they were questioning the Lord, trying to get information and stuff like that. Um, I had the one of the the chaperones who went with them. He survived, and uh, so they're questioning him, trying to figure out like, well, you know, what's going on, getting all the information that they could. And even more so, they're like, my mom's like, something's not right about this guy. I'm like, well, you could roll an insight check and see if they're, you can figure, or determine if he might be hiding something or not. Turns out he was drunk on the job and, and all the stuff. My dad used intimidation to get more information out of, uh, out of people and stuff. And I mean, it, it went as well as you possibly could have thought. I absolutely loved it. That's incredible. So they go out, they get to the campsite. I have them, you know, set up a watch and everything. And then by this point it was getting kind of late because, you know, I did a whole lot of like kind of tutorial stuff beforehand, you know, introduce them to the dice, what the skills were and, and things like that. So I'm like, okay, I originally planned for two encounters, one at the campsite. And then from there, either they take a hostage who takes them back to the main goblin site or they're able to track or, you know, whatever. And then have the, the fight with the big boss there. So then, scrapped that whole second fight moved all of them into the first fight and then had a pretty decent fight they, they did good um unfortunately some of the roles were not in their favor in fact uh, my mom went one-on-one against a goblin for like for three rounds they didn't hit each other oh my goodness <laughs> which was absolutely horrible um only just uh, two days ago did I realize, oh, I forgot to tell my dad that uh, at level two, he does get, um, I forget what it is, that a reckless attack. So he was just doing straight attacks where reckless probably could have killed the thing or two faster. But, oh, well, he doesn't need to know that. I totally forgot to tell him that. So, uh, you know, we went through combat time, and everything. Time. Exactly. Um, and it, it worked out really well. And Nevermore killed some. Uh, my sister killed some, my, my dad, dude, my dad got a nat 20 on his first roll. I had him cut off a goblin's arm. Yeah. Don't, just happened to be the big boss and you know, it, it, oh, it was fantastic. So then combat ends. We've got one little goblin left, the one that my mom was fighting. And then, so they're trying to interrogate him and like, it's, it's super late for them. So I'm like trying to wrap it up <laughs> because I know my mom's going to be tired. want to go to bed and stuff. And, uh, but she's just like, I don't really believe this goblin. Like she just keeps wanting to poke and prod at it and everything. And I'm like, we'll go ahead and roll an inside check. And, you know, she actually rolls really high, which was good. I'm like, oh no, he's totally doing anything you say at this point, if you let him live. So, you know, they, they, they were able to save the kids, take them back to town and, you know, get their, their hundred gold each reward. So it, it worked really well. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think we'll ever play again, but it was cool. And like, they both thanked me for it. Like, yeah, yeah, I had a really good time. And so 
it was great. I mean, I, I got them all their own set of dice. Uh, you know, I, I had a little figure for each of them and stuff. And, you know, we, we used uh, just a, one of the, the, the folding maps and I drew on, you know, the campsite had a couple miniatures and stuff. And I mean, overall it, it was a lot of fun. And I, I was so incredibly impressed that they, they jumped on the role playing like pretty fast, which I, in a million years, I never thought my dad would have done that. And he was like really into the idea. So it, it was great. It just goes to show you, you know, you never know until, until you ask. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's really cool. I'm very, I'm very excited for that. It's yeah. awesome that that went well. I recommend trying it with your parents whenever you can. Ought to do that sometime. Yeah. You never I don't know. know. I don't, you, you never know. You never know if they, if they go for it, but it never hurts to ask. Yeah. I mean, I figure mine went with it mainly because, you know, I'm doing this show now. I, you know, we're, we're doing plus five to hit. I'm talking about my home game. Uh, like, you know, tell my mom everything that's going on. Cause you know, when all your friends are in your game, you really can't talk about it to them. <laughs> so like she knows like the complex hard, things going on and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think they're just kind of interested in like, well, what's my setup to these days? So it, it worked out pretty well. That's, that's really cool. Um, all right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for episode 17. But before we go, Ben, why don't you tell everyone real quick where they can contact us? Exactly. Um, if you want to contribute to the next mailbag that we do, make sure to send those emails to dndiscussions at gmail.com. That's right. It is this show's name followed by at gmail.com. It's true. Exactly. Um, but uh, the best thing about that is that if you have a multitude of questions, if you have something you want to ask uh, specifically Ryan or myself, or if it's just something super long that can't be done in a tweet, make sure to send those emails. We do see them. We read everything we get. We love everything that we get too, uh, even if we don't bring it up on the show. But if you have you know a quick question or just some sort of interaction or something that you want to say to us, you can always tweet us. You know, that is going to be at DN Discussions. Also, the name of the show. And uh, the best thing is... is It works out like that. Exactly. Uh, If you tweet, we're both going to get it. Um, We might not answer right away, depending on, you know, if we're busy with, like, work or life or something. But, you know, we do respond as best as we can. In fact, if you want someone who does respond much faster than I do, Ryan, what is your Twitter address? Where, Where can people find you? You can find me at TBKZord if you want to follow stuff about gaming and D&D and apparently now painting, dice making, and 3D printing. <laughs> that's, that's my thing. Exactly. Uh, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Ben Bumhofer. And even more so, if you like hearing us talk about Dungeons & Dragons, but you think to yourself, well, golly gee, I want to hear them play. Well, you can check out the podcast plus five to hit where Ryan and I both play Dungeons and Dragons. It's a good time. Very much so. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening and uh, hope you have an amazing, hopefully D&D filled uh, next couple of weeks and we will see you next time. That's right, folks. See you soon and be good to each other. <laughs>